you all are welcome to be as interactive as well, if you'd like. And <laughs> anything I say you want to respond to, you just speak up. I'll be fine. So we'll, we'll just stay together. I think, ma'am, we were certainly on the same page here. So uh, even though you and I didn't consult, but there's, I'm glad we had the same passage and uh, probably a few of the same thoughts there for our message this morning. Please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read uh, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. I'll remind you that this is God's holy, inspired, infallible, inerrant word. You know, that's so important to us as a church, as a denomination. Uh, There's not so many denominations that really hold to that same position today and uh, that's probably why we're here, isn't it? That's why we're in this sanctuary, because you hear the Word of God. Uh, you don't hear man's opinions, uh, but you hear the truth and people who believe that this book is God's inspired and fallible Word. What a, what a joy to believe that, to have comfort in that. How uh, discouraging it would be if it was all just open to, to whoever's interpretation. Uh, there is no stability and no truth. But we have this, the Word of God. So please give attention as I begin there at verse 14. For this reason, Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He might grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I think as my wife said to me early this morning, I can't believe it's 2017. I think probably there are others in the room that said the same thing. It is so hard for us, particularly as we've gotten older, to, to realize that we another year has passed, we're in a new year. And if we don't we remember it, If you're watching any TV at all, you're going to see lots of weight loss commercials. You're going to see advertisements for fitness centers to join. And uh, if you happen to be a regular at a fitness center, then in January you hate it because it's packed in January. You just have to wait it out. In February 1st, you know, it'll empty back out because as we learned in the children's sermon, Uh, People make their resolutions, Uh, they're going to lose weight, they're going to exercise, and so they join the gym and they go several times in January and then it all goes away. I think most of us have, as you said, gotten away from New Year's resolutions. Uh, It's just not something that is worth doing. Uh, I was listening to Dave Ramsey this week, some of you are familiar with Dave Ramsey and his He's a Christian financial guru, and his great uh, theme is to get us out of debt, and I think it's a great theme. And he was saying that 
48% of Americans make New Year's resolutions, but only about 8% keep them. And I wonder, in interviewing those 8%, if they're all telling the truth. I got an email, I think it was yesterday, that said, uh, 10 reasons we don't keep our New Year's resolutions. You know, I didn't even read it. I, I knew why. I know why we don't keep our resolution. So I just hit delete. One thing Dave Ramsey did talk about at that point was promoting goal setting. And uh, for him, of course, it's for us to get out of debt and to save more and to use our money better. But uh, goals, it's different from resolutions. The problem with the word resolution is found in the, de- in the definition. Because if you look it up in the dictionary, and I did that, it, in the Merriam-Webster dictionary, it says to make a definite and serious decision to do something. To make a definite and serious decision to do something. There's a fallacy there for us as human beings. We can't make decisions that are going to really change our lives. We can't make a decision that brings us into a relationship with Christ. It is Christ who reaches down to us and brings us into faith and gives us the faith to believe. But we certainly can't make decisions that that are of consequence, or certainly not of eternal consequence. Now, honestly, I do hope that as we wake up every day, and particularly it's sort of a a day to think about it on the first Lord's Day and the first day of the year, is, God, what what do we want God to do in our lives this year? What do we want for Him to do today? We may be thinking about those things that have been a struggle to us and some of those besetting sins and wanting to to have a stronger faith, a greater relationship with Christ, to to really be, to have true repentance and to do as Paul says down in the fourth chapter, just the next verse after what I just read. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now that is something that we can, we can desire. Uh, it can be a goal for our life that we would, we would be living in that way. But we know Paul's desire for us as we have seen this prayer. This is an amazing prayer. As two there's the prayer in, in the first chapter that, um, that I started. If I'd had the time, I would have tried to bring both of them together. But it's just it's impossible to, to do both of them justice. But in both cases, they are tremendous prayers for us to, to pray, to, to come before the Lord. This is what Paul wants for us. It's not a resolution. It's not a challenge to, to resolve to be something. But the Apostle Paul gets on his knees uh, before the Father, he humbly and reverently goes to the Father and says, "You know, God, allow the Holy Spirit to work in these believers these things." And that's that's not a, a resolution. That is an acknowledgement that God is the one who does these things in us. Whatever it is that we may dream and desire and know from Scripture that God wants in us, we don't we don't work it up within ourselves to do these things to to be a better husband, to be a better father, to be a better wife or mother or whatever. Uh, 
these are things that we can desire, but we go to the, our Heavenly Father who is, able, who is able to to do these things and to bring these things about. And so Paul says, uh, and he comes before the Father, uh, he bows his knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He is coming before the true God. He is coming before the only God and the God who is uh, the God of all people, God of his people and the creator of all people. You know, there's nothing of consequence that's going to happen in our lives outside of God's doing. There's nothing that's of consequence that will happen through this church. There's no, no ministry that's going to be, quote, successful. There's no ministry that's going to really uh, bring glory to God that is not brought about by us praying for His blessing and for God to bless it. There are things in all of our lives that we want different. We, we so much want to be a, a Christian that glorifies the Lord. But you can't turn over a new leaf. You can't make a New Year's resolution that this will change in your life. But you can get on your knees before the Lord. You can come before Him and beseech Him to, to work this in us. And there's so much assurance in this passage. And when I say assurance, Paul is, if you, if you read this and really look at it carefully, you understand that he's not just hoping this could be the case. In fact, two times in this chapter, he begins the chapter, verse 1, and he also begins our section, for this reason. And again, I don't have time to go back and give you all the reasons or why he's saying this, but, but he, is, he is acknowledging and saying, because God has blessed in the past, God has done this. God is who He is. He is all-powerful. And he has, he has blessed His people beyond all that we can ever imagine. In fact, in the first chapter, He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is the God I'm coming before. This is the God that, has, He says, is, is rich, the riches according to the riches of His glory. He knows who God is. He knows what He has uh, that he is a, this limitless, omnipotent, uh, omniscient, sovereign God, and he's coming before him humbly, reverently, and saying, Lord, do this work. Send your Holy Spirit to work in these people. And it's the prayer continues for us. I mean, Paul's prayer, his ministry, and it's, it's for us to, to pray as well. Paul knew he had reason to come boldly. Uh, he was humble, but he came boldly expecting based on what God had already done. He was going directly to the source uh, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. He had the ability, he has the willingness, he has the resources and He has His love for us. We are His people. This is what God desires for us. And so that was His prayer that He would, that by His Spirit, He would strengthen us. He would strengthen us with His power. These are the words of this text. I'm not, again, bringing anything that is not from this text. He is praying that God would strengthen them with power through the Spirit in their inner being. And what is the goal? I mentioned goals, having goals in life. Well, this is the, one of the, this is maybe the most lofty goal of all in verse 19. He says, 
to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that's a goal. But, but believe me, you can't walk out of here and say, well, I'm going to try to do that. You know, I, I want that. That would be great. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do whatever. Well, all of those things are certainly a part of what God uses. But it's coming before Him and saying, God, I want this in my life, but you've got to do it. And I'm coming before you, and I know that you have blessed me and you've blessed all others, and there is no reason for me not to come before you boldly for this. But this is what I desire for my life. He prays for the, that this work would be done in the inner man, or our, we might refer to it as our hearts. There's a number of ways that this is expressed. But here in this particular passage, he refers to the, to the inner man, which is all of us, male and female, of course. Uh, but that this work would be done in here. I think it's the same thing, you know, it it's often is referred to as the heart. Uh, when David prayed in Psalm 139, you know, search me, O God. And know my heart. See if there be any wicked or grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. David was praying that. Lord, look in here, this inner man, this heart, my heart. And, and search it out and do your work in me. That's such a far cry from, from making a, a resolution. He's praying that the sovereign God of the universe would send the Holy Spirit into that place, that, new, that place of spiritual life. You know, we get a new heart. We're new creatures. Uh, I love in Ezekiel where, you know, it talks about the heart of stone, the heart of stone being removed and given a new heart. I mean, we have been born again by the Spirit of God in this place in us, this inner self where our will, our emotions, our affections, everything is uh, there that Paul is praying, God, please send the Holy Spirit into that place and do a mighty work in those believers. He will do and can do that substantial work to, conf- to mold us more and more into the image of Christ, to, that we would yield more and more to Him. Do you, do you have a desire for that? I, I really do. I, you know, I... I just desire more and more to, to reflect Christ. And I think you know, I, was, I was speaking in a chapel at a Christian school down in, in Fairhope a few weeks ago. And one of the things they asked me to do is to kind of give my, my life goal or, desi- you know, for the rest of my life. And, you know, as one who's uh, got far more of my life behind me than ahead of me other than my eternal life. You know, I just, you know, I put, well, I want to finish well. You know, I want to finish well. Uh, I want to use the years that I have. Life has changed. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not fully retired. I am retired from the Army, and I'm not pastoring, but I am working with chaplains in the ministry that I came and talked about several years ago. I still do that. But it's different. But I want to reflect Christ in all that I do. I want to reflect Him in my home uh, as a husband and father and grandfather now and uh, with everyone. And so this is... Uh, this is my desire, that Christ would, would do this. And notice in, in this, the place that Christ has in all of this. Um, in verse 17, because we've been strengthened with power in the inner man uh, by the Spirit, so that Christ 
may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, all of this is connected to our relationship to Christ. I mean, that's what we are as Christians. But do you ever feel like your relationship with Christ is a little somewhat abstract? You know, there's times I feel it's, a, it's an abstract relationship. I'm so thankful he's my savior and we give thanks. And, but are we, are we walking with him? Do we fully understand all that he is, he is doing in our, in our lives? Uh, Paul in, in Philippians and other places talks about knowing Christ. If you, if you turn over a few pages in your Bible uh, to the, just a couple of pages probably to chapter 3, you see Paul describing it for himself in In verse 8, he says, Indeed, this chapter 3 of Ephesians, I mean Philippians, excuse me. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And then skipping down to verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, in that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I think there's something very deep in Paul's thought here, that he might know him and the power of his resurrection. It's more than that saving knowledge. It is really understanding the sympathy of Christ, the love of Christ, his mercy... Uh, and devotion and, and the, the, his willingness to deal with us you know I kind of like I tend when I'm not somewhere preaching or speaking or doing something uh, I'm there at Eastern Shore Press where I used to pastor and and the pastor he kind of used the term a lot of times he says you know he says I'm a goofball and you're a goofball you know and it kind of reminds me of my old growing up days but it's kind of a good term you know we're goofballs <laughs> you know we we are we're not necessarily those those saints that stand out in the world in any way. We know we're sinners. We know we're broken. Uh, we know that we've, we're failure in so many ways, and yet God loves us and is merciful to us, and He is not turning His back on us or standoffish because of this, because of who Christ is. And that's the, the joy of being a child of God, of knowing His tenderness, His sympathy, His mercy, His understanding that He is tempted in all points as we were. And we are. I want to be clear and maybe make a contrast here because there's, there's a lot of Christianity out there that, that sort of gives the idea that you know, you have an, you're going to have an experience. There's some kind of spiritual experience that's going to take you up to a new level. And you may be able to perform signs and wonders or whatever it is. And I think a lot of Christians are seeking that. And I don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all. And I don't think that's what, what Paul is, is describing here. He is talking about, you know, walking worthy. He, he is talking about a daily relationship of just living out the life of Christ in your, in your world, whatever it is. Uh, and it, it's not an experience, but it's a lifestyle. It's, it's God working in us and through us every day. 
he's talking about an intimacy that, uh, that causes us to, to just cry, cry out to him, to call out to him. Uh, and, it, and it really has a, a really practical impact of our lives. If you, if you go, uh, go forward again, uh, flipping up to Colossians, the first chapter, just another page or so if you're still in Philippians, there's, this is a parallel passage. You know, the Colossians and Ephesians were written basically at the same time. And, and because he talks about this same thing, it really kind of gives us more insight into what he's talking about. And I think here we see that it's very practical. Uh, this relationship is not some experience that lifts us up into the heavens. It's, it is doing your job wherever it is and whatever situation you're in. Because listen to what he says. This is in chapter 1, beginning at verse 9. And so from this day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Again, this sounds a lot like that Ephesians prayer. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will to all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. It's just living the Christian life to the glory of God. As we come back to to Ephesians chapter 3, Note that he uses two metaphors here. One is that we would be rooted and the other that we would be grounded. And they're very different, but they they have the same same meaning. The rooted is taking the illustration of a tree or a plant with its roots that go deep and the tree that bears fruit that, that that is growing and prospering. And then the second metaphor is the the uh that of being grounded, and that is a foundation. That's a a metaphor regarding, uh, that speaks of a building. Uh, As you remember, when Jesus talks about building our life on the the rock, well, that's the same idea here, that we would be like a building that is, that is, that has a great foundation, that is not going to be blown away by the, the winds and the waves. And this is what he is wanting for us. It is a life that is well-rooted, that is grounded by His Spirit, by His power in the inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts. You, you may have noticed in the bulletin, my, I think the title of my sermon, A Prayer for a New Year. I hope you understand at this point what I'm saying in that title is that We're not making New Year's resolutions, but we're coming before our loving Heavenly Father and saying, Lord, this is what I want you to do in me. This is what I want. Because this is what you want for me. If we know what God wants for us, if we know the life that He is is willing to give us, we can pray. It's not a a one-time prayer. Paul, his writings, his 13 books, you think about what he was praying for the people. I've said, those have got to be the things that I want to pray for. 
That's what I want God to do in me. I know in talking to so many Christians and just my own life experience, we wish that God would, would do a work in us that would change us so dramatically that we wouldn't have all of these sins and struggles and weaknesses. Well, I've got some bad news and some good news. You know the bad news in a way. I call it the bad news. God is not going to necessarily do everything in us this side of heaven. But the good news, the great news, the wonderful news is that is our glorification. That's what we have to look forward to. Now, God's going to take us through this life. He's going to allow us to go through a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of challenges, and maybe some besetting sins that we just, oh, Lord, couldn't you take that out of my life? You know, God says, you live your life, submit yourself to me daily, and one day, one day, you will be made whole. You know, the question could be, is God really able to do this? Truly, is he able to do it? Look at the last two verses as we close of that section in in chapter 3 there. After he prays that we would be filled with the fullness of God, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Can God do it? <laughs> Amen. Absolutely. He can do it. Let's be men and women of prayer, seeking the Lord, knowing that He loves us, He cares for us, and that He has great desires that we please and walk worthy of our calling. Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your Holy Spirit to, first to regenerate us, to bring us to faith and repentance, but Father, we're thankful that Your Spirit is within us now that He is working in us, in and through us, that He is enabling us more and more each day to live to Your glory. Father, may we not forget this prayer. May we lift it up to You. May we acknowledge this as we seek to glorify You in all things. Bring that renewal, that revival to our souls, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.